Annika, how do you feel about starting out this one subdued already? I think, Maria, that is a great idea. Hi, Bellingham. It's Maria in Happy Valley. And Annika in Columbia. And, you know, we're here for you. We're here to talk about Bellingham, both the well-known and the not-so-well-known, and whatever we feel like talking about. It's a little bit different of an introduction, but it's a little bit different of a beginning of an episode. Kind of feels like the world's a little bit on fire. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a real crazy time to be alive. We're here as a community, and let's check on our quarantined co-hosts. How's Romy? Romy... For now, he he's on he's on a little walk. So Romy is not with me right now, but he is in a very happy place. That's good. Yeah. Burrito almost got into a fight with Confetti this morning. Oh, his friend. Well, I don't think they're friends anymore. I think they might be mortal enemies in a turf war. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of cute. I he came to the back door. Not Confetti. Burrito was outside playing, and he came home and he got my attention. I was like, "What's up, boy?" And he. You, you know when you can tell when an animal is trying to show you something? Mm-hmm. Well, he leads me around the corner, and there's confetti just staring at us. And burrito, with the courage that his, his mama is right there, runs up to confetti and does a really aggressive howl, howling and screaming. Oh. <laughs> you know, they both get make themselves all big, and I'm like, oh, no. So I, I go, and I, I clap, and I try to chase him off, and I just have to be on the lookout for confetti in the future it seems like because it will not be a a friendly relationship like i was hoping it was going to be wow a blossoming friendship that turns sour yeah they had their first fight (laughs) and probably their last hopefully their hopefully their last hopefully their last yeah so maria what's going on yeah so white girl's not gonna give any hot takes per se <laughs> but i will will say that city of subdued podcast is standing in solidarity with the black lives matter movement i think that if you are a person of color this is not a very big platform but if you want to come on our show and say something we'd love to hear from you we have a little over a hundred listeners maybe more still growing and if you want to come on and talk we'd love to have you we want to send out words of comfort mm-hmm. to all of our friends and neighbors in Bellingham, love down to all those people that were brave enough to be out in Seattle. We were watching those feeds. Pretty scary. I had friends that had stuff broken into. One of my friends is an EMT. Things were things were real wacky down there. Annika, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. Did you know anybody that was out protesting? Yeah. Actually, somebody we went to school with was out protesting. Oh. Yeah. Good for them. Well, I didn't go out and march in the Bellingham protests, although awesome if you did. Thank you so much. Um, I think my focus, and Annika, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you feel similarly. I think that we have a lot of power as educators, and it all starts with the children. So really focusing on equity in education is going to be a huge, a huge thing, a, a mission for me mm-hmm. personally, teaching anti-racism and and we work with so many marginalized communities as special educators that it's just you know extra important for us so I spend a lot of time trying to find good people on Twitter to follow and maybe this is like super lame but <laughs> like the thing I can I can do the most is in my position as an educator I think and so that's where I want to put my energy going forward to help yeah I mean as an educator I know that I've had to have conversations with 
parents that are nervous about when their kids get older? And should they be worried what what would happen if one of their children had an interaction with a police officer? A lot of my parents are very nervous about that. Mm-hmm. With the kids that I'm working with, you know, I, I really try to educate them and how to advocate for themselves in a safe manner. I mean, I feel like I'm spending less time educating other students about anti-racism work and more adults okay. and people I know that, and for some reason, you know, this this most recent incident of police brutality has, has seemed to strike a chord with people that really didn't care about it before or didn't believe it was true, even though there's been so many instances where there's been very disturbing recordings of incidents with police officers. Yeah. But for some reason, this one like was very... I'm, I'm seeing people being way more woke about... I don't really... Maybe it's silly to use that word, but like family members I have, people that are usually way more tiptoey about this sort of thing it seems to be the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people you know no matter what people were thinking before i am so happy if there are minds that are changing and people that are willing to grow and be agents of radical empathy and compassion and listen without being defensive because i think in my own journey i've have not always been and am not still you know, the most knowledgeable, educated, perfect liberal, (laughs) right? I have internal biases, I make mistakes, but I think like just listening to more people's stories over the past, you know, time of my adulthood, that has been the most important thing. So I, I hope you go out and you listen to some people's stories that maybe that you're not used to hearing. There's, there's a lot of stuff out there. I also want to say, this is going to turn the corner into something else that's kind of depressing. We're still in the pandemic in the midst of it. Make sure that you're wearing your masks and everything. Uh, but also, something I haven't heard a lot about, but something I've come in contact recently, uh, has been the the mental health crisis of being quarantined, I think, is something that we're not hearing enough about recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually the, the first podcaster I ever listened to when I was in high school, relapsed into a depression and addiction that ultimately he was he would succumb to some inner demons. And I think that if you have someone that you know has struggled with depression or anxiety or addiction in your life, reach out to them. <laughs> Make sure they're okay because you never know what's happening in someone's house if they're alone. Yes. Sorry to be such a bummer, Bellingham. But it's hard to be really peppy right now. It'll be a li- maybe a little bit jarring going into our interview, which was taken in a slightly different time. But maybe it'll be a good distraction. for listening Bellingham we are going to ease our transition into an interview by sharing a couple things that may brighten up your day just a little bit I was so happy to find out that k-pop on Holly where the bobs used to be is open and delivering they're really good fried chicken I'm so excited to eat there with my friends when we can be together with them because chicken and beer is one of my favorite foods. I think the 
people were doing it probably before the Koreans, but the Koreans know how to do it just right. The spicy sweet chicken and the light beer and, uh, yeah, you gotta have them together. <laughs> and I only say that people were doing it probably before the Koreans because I think the Egyptians had both chicken and beer, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go. There. And also, um, the bagelry is delivering. I've been waiting for the bagelry to start delivering since, uh, like, months, like since my birthday, April 3rd. The thing I wanted the most was a big box of bagels to eat all by myself, but I had to wait. So I got it. I ate like three bagels in one sitting. No, it's not healthy. Yes, I did need to do it for science. (laughs) (gasps) Well, we're going to head over to our interview. We hope that you enjoy our conversation with Jason, the founder of Stemma Brewing. So today we have a very special guest, Jason Harper. Jason is the founder of Stemma Brewing. He is also a drummer releasing a full album in high school. His uh, greatest athletic achievement was running the Bellingham Bay Marathon with a stroller and a nine-month-old baby. Ooh, a heroic feat. How are you doing, Jason? And uh, do you have anything to drink? You know, that's what I'm missing, guys. I don't have anything in my hands right now. But, you know, the good thing is, is I'm like steps away from beverages here at Stemma. So I, uh, I'll i have to grab uh, some something to drink. It'll be some sort of beer. Yes, that's perfect. It's to be expected. Yeah. Make sure I, you guys don't have like giant tubs full of wine. Yeah, exactly. I'll just, I'll just pull right off the tank that's behind me. Yeah, that's great. What are you working on as far as beer goes? Anything special, experimental? Um, yeah, I mean, we've got, we've been putting beers into 16 ounce cans. That's the newest thing for us. Um, and right now we've got a beer we're calling Peaches de Haze. So it's a hazy IPA with uh, peach puree. Um, and that's going to be coming out in cans on June 22nd. So we're about a month out of that date. And then with that canning run, we're also going to have more shelter and haze, which is another hazy from us. Um, we're going to have our anniversary can release. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary, um, and we're putting Stemma IPA, which is our first ever brewed IPA. We're putting that into a 16-ounce can. And what else? We've got one other beer uh, I've been working on. Oh, uh, Citrus Single Hop, which is not a new one, but another rebrew for us going into 16-ounce cans. Yeah, and I've got, a, I've got a couple barrels. I've got some gin barrels that have Kvike beer in them. Uh, so Kvike is a Norwegian farmhouse yeast that I brewed like kind of traditional brewing style on it. And then they're aging in these gin barrels. That's pretty fun for us. Oh, cool. And then we've got a 9% Saison brewing right now that we're going to be putting in some red wine barrels from Longship Cellars. So that's going to be a pretty fun one coming up. Wow, it sounds like there's a lot of things to look forward to. Yeah, we always try to keep things new and interesting. Yeah, definitely. Annika, what uh, what have you got to sip on? I actually was inspired by something you had recently, Maria. I have the mango apero. It's good, from, isn't it? From Colshin? Yep, it's like a, what is it? Like a fruity, yet dry, yet refreshing beer that is crushable and delicious. So yeah, that's their like rebuttal to the seltzer trend. It's really low in gluten, not enough that they're calling it gluten free, but low calorie, low. That's a pretty cool one. Yeah, definitely. I'm just like right in that seltzer zone. I've got myself some pineapple hard seltzer. 
awesome. You gotta, you gotta start light in the afternoon. Well, yeah. give me uh, 10 <laughs> seconds. I'm gonna grab myself some guava hazy. Oh. I would like some guava hazy as well. That sounds really good. That sounds really good. Oh my gosh. All right, now I'm back and officially can we can start. Let's just start from the top. <laughs> Perfect. So what is this guava hazy you're talking about exactly? It's called guava the haze. We are sold out of it technically in the tap room. I save a case of all our beers um, in the back just so we can kind of do quality control on it as it ages. Um, and so I've got a couple 16 ounce cans left of it. Uh, we released it about a month ago. Hazy IPA with 340 pounds of guava puree. Um, oh. It's really tasty. The guava dried out, and so it added to the alcohol. And unfortunately, when it you know kind of went dry, it's not super like guava fruity, and almost is more like grapefruit. But I promise people, it is still guava. Well, I like both. So I and I love hazy. So I would be very happy with all of that. So since this is a Bellingham podcast, what brought you to Bellingham? I moved up in Bellingham in 2008 uh, in January to go to Western. So my wife, girlfriend at the time was a year ahead of me in school. So she was already at Western as a freshman as I finished up high school. And then I followed after her and started winter quarter in uh, 08. And I've been here ever since. Very cool. And uh, where are you both originally from? Uh, Vancouver, Washington. Oh, hey. That's my area. Oh, is it? Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. Have you ever been to the Vancouver Sausage Fest? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) A brother in arms. Yearly tradition. Got to watch the the, girls doing the tap dancing, too. Mm -hmm. I had had friends that did Irish dancing in that performance. Yeah. Yeah, I I loved the tractor pull game. (laughs) And, And the one, too, where you, like, make the frisbees with the paint and you can like yeah there's a lot of good memories i have a bunch of like beanie babies and painted frisbees and my dad used to work in the elephant ear stand so that was always a favorite that's fun what uh high school did you go to you know i went to central catholic high school in portland oregon okay cool but i went to the uh say joe's the grade school that they had the sausage fest at that's awesome so, because this is a bellingham podcast and you've lived here for a while do you have a a Bellingham story. We like to say this is something amusing with a person, place, or thing that other locals would recognize. Oh man, I uh, I have a lot of them that maybe kind of end out some, you know, end somewhat inappropriate. I'm trying to figure out family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> I one popped into my brain that I think should relate with most people. So Fragrance Lake. Uh, yes. Have you guys done that hike at all? Are you guys familiar? I'm familiar with it. I haven't done it yet. Okay, so yeah, up, yeah, chucking a highway. So this was 2010, it must have been. I was living in Denver at the time, and I knew I wanted to propose to Kim, my wife. So I sort of started designing the ring and then started thinking about how I wanted to propose. And I decided that what I wanted to do was fly out and surprise her. She was still in Bellingham. I kind of put this whole plan into place where I, I told her that I, um, uh, was going on a camping trip and wasn't going to have cell service. So don't, you know, don't call me. I turned off my cell phone and I uh, made some connections to flying to Bellingham. So this time I'm a fairly poor college student. I'm trying to figure out the cheapest way to get from Denver to Bellingham. Well, mm-hmm. the cheapest way to do that is to run a Southwest flight from Denver to Vegas, Vegas to Bellingham on Allegiant, 
Well, what I didn't think about with all that is since they're different airlines, if there's any issues with like one getting delayed, well, you miss your other flight and then you're screwed. Lightning storms in Denver, plane gets delayed. So I show up in Vegas. And at that point, it was before you could like check in on Allegiant over the phone. And so I had to like run out of security, go check into like a desk. And it was still like I maybe 20 minutes before the flight was supposed to leave. And they told me there was no way I was going to be able to make it. I wasn't going to get on. And so here I am sitting in Vegas, kind of trying to stress out, arranging, you know, someone was supposed to pick me up at the airport. So I'm trying to arrange all the details. So I'm scrolling on Facebook, kind of the early days, I feel like, of Facebook. And I noticed one of my college friends is in Vegas celebrating her 21st birthday. And so I uh, message her, text her, and end up going out and spending, like, the entire night on the Vegas Strip. And... uh, (laughs) I roll into the airport six. I had a six thirty flight. I think I hadn't slept at all. Hop on a flight. Uh, sleep a little bit on the flight. I get to uh, Bellingham and it's like go time. We planned this whole day where I'm gonna meet Kim. Fragrance Lake lookout. So my friend picks him at the airport, takes me to the bottom of the hill on Chuckanut to hike up, and the lookout's like a, a mile basically from the bottom of the trail. And then my other good friend is hiking with Kim. I picked up like sushi lunch and I had a flower and I had the ring and I'm dressed up. I'm in like, you know, slacks and a tie and I kind of set up this like picnic. Well, so it took me maybe 20 or 30 minutes. I like basically run up because I want to make sure I don't miss her. I set up this whole thing. Well, you know, 20, 30 minutes go by and like no Kim. The timing should have been perfect. Like they were supposed to only be a little bit behind me. As like people come walking down this lookout, I like get all excited and say, like, oh, it's not her. And then people are like all stoked that I'm dressed up and they're asking <laughs> questions and multiple people took like selfies with me. And I'm just like, come on, get out of here. She might be coming at any point. So what happened was um, our other friend that was hiking with my wife, they started at the top. So you can drive up to the top of Fragrance Lake and then to walk down to the lookout point is like a three to four mile hike. Whereas if you start at the bottom, it's like less than a mile, really short, you're at the lookout. So it took him like another two hours. And and my friend's also trying not to tip off my wife. And so my wife's like, oh, I really want to like do the loop around the lake before we go to the lookout. (laughs) And so basically hadn't slept much more than a couple hours in like a two day period. And I'm sitting there waiting for my wife. And she comes, you know, three hours after I'd been there. Um, But it was a great Super fun, fun story. She said yes, and, uh, you know, the rest is history, I guess. So That is really, really cute. Yeah, so I guess the moral of the story is if you hike Fragrance Lake, make sure you know where you're starting from. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we go into the questions about STEMA, I did want to ask you about the advanced Cicerone. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Okay, so you have your level three certification and it sounds like you were one of the three in washington state that has that yeah last time i checked that's right i haven't looked in maybe six months um they post like the directory online but yeah one of three in washington two other in seattle as far as i know okay can you tell me a little bit about what that entails and what that means like what what can somebody expect if if they know that somebody has this certification Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking at now. So as of today, there's 139 advanced Cicerones. So the Cicerone program was created as 
sort of a response to the sommelier program. So wine sommeliers, that program's been around, I may not be right, 70s or 80s, I think is when that was created. And for a long time, you know, in the 90s when beer became more popular, people were just sort of self-proclaiming themselves as beer sommeliers. Mm -hmm. And that was a term you were hearing in, you know, nicer dining restaurants a lot. And so um, Ray, um, wow, I'm forgetting his last name, the (laughs) director of the Cicerone program. Well, we'll just call him Ray for now. Um, You know, Ray. You know, Ray. Mm -hmm. He started this Cicerone um, coming from a background of like running the Brewers Association and um, writing some beer books. And we need to have a certification that is specifically for beer and beer service and, you know, beer education knowledge. And it's something that people can get and can put on a resume and take to an employer and say, I know, know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. This program has certified me. So there's four levels. It starts with the certified beer server, which um, I require all our beer tenders to get. It's an online exam. It's uh, 60 questions, 30 minutes. And it's becoming really common. There's a two or 300,000 in that first level now. And it's easy enough, but it's also fairly difficult. And what I mean by that is it catches a lot of beer people off guard. Someone will be like, well, I've been bartending for eight years and um, this will be easy. And they take it and they fail it. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that, if you've been bartending in the Northwest, is we're sort of in a bubble and there's a ton of IPAs and not much else. (laughs) And so um, the Cicerone does a really good job at just opening the world of a ton of different styles. So that is a good like first step for just beer tenders. And then there's the certified Cicerone, which is the level two, which is a uh, three hour like SAT style exam where it's got written, there's short essay, fill in the blank. And then there's a tasting component where they put beers in front of you and Mm. ask you ran a bunch of questions about them and then there's also like a lot on beer and food pairings and then on that level there's also like a five minute verbal exam where you sit in front of a camera and talk about some piece of a draft component so Mm. for me they gave me a draft faucet and they had me take it apart and talk about it and explain how to clean it and what it was for and then the Originally, when I got my certified Cicerone, there was just one other level, the Master Cicerone. And so I applied, and at the time, it was a lottery draw to get a spot for it. They only tested 20, I think 22 people a year at that point. So I was able to get one of those spots to sit for the exam, and I did not pass the Master. It's a two-day, 10-hour days, all essay. Each day, I think there's like six panels of tasting and then there's um six 10 minute one-on-ones with a beer beer expert talking about anything beer related and it's an 85 percent pass so that um i did fairly well on but just not quite an 85 and then basically the same time i was taking that they announced the advanced cicerone it was to bridge the gap because at the time there was roughly 2,000 certified cicerones and 12 masters And so they realized there was this huge discrepancy between certified and master. So then I went back about a year later. I spent about a year of pretty hard studying. Um, I went back and passed the advanced Cicerone. Um, And it's a one-day test, basically the same as the master, just all condensed into one day. I think I probably wrote close to 40 pages of handwritten essays 
uh, over six oh hours. So. I also hold a finance degree from Western, and no offense to my finance degree, but the, <laughs> the advanced Cicerone was much harder to obtain, which I, I love saying that because the world does not need advanced Cicerones. The world needs doctors. The world needs financial people. And so they purposely make these exams extremely hard to, to get um, so that when you do hold it, the certificate means a lot. Um, which I appreciate. So as of right today, there's 4,134 certified Cicerones to 139 advanced. I want to say there's, let me check on master. I think there's like 17 now on the master. 19. Wow, that's cool. That's enough from last time I looked. 19 <laughs> masters. So what I love on the master list is there's a Jason Pratt and a Gavin Harper. So um, <laughs> I'm on there, just not in the right order. <laughs> Have you ever, are you considering going back and trying to get that final certification? Uh, yeah, I'll probably shoot to take the exam again. Um, I would love to say no, but I'm a glutton for punishment and enjoy <laughs> testing quite a bit. And I, I get it. Like, honestly, imagining myself taking an SAT all about beer, like that, that sounds way more fun than it should. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> Fun, but also a lot of work to get it correct. <laughs> like, yeah. I think mostly just drinking the beer sounds fun. <laughs> I am glad that, that you have the, the information needed to make great beer, which you do. So Yeah, I do you. give the Cicerone program a lot of credit to the success so far of Stemma and, and just making me feel prepared for the next step of starting the brewery. And um, just because it is so much information they require you to know that even certified Cicerone, I think, is enough information probably to start a brewery. So. so so, can you tell us a little bit about going from getting that certification to starting the brewery? I mean, you're relatively young. I know breweries take a lot of work, a lot of capital. How do you find the courage to get that all started? So the original business plan was written in 2011 at Western. I took a business planning class where the whole class it was like a 400 level class on uh, where you wrote a business plan. And so me and a partner uh, wrote a plan on starting a brewery. At the time, it was called Fan Belt Brewing. A lot of Stemma's business plan was taken from that. I, definitely a lot changed, but also a lot stayed the same. And so it was something I've been thinking about for a long time. At that time, when I was graduating, people kept asking what I was going to do after school. And I told them I was starting a brewery. My lovely wife also has a finance and accounting degree. She reminded me that I had zero experience and no money, um, <laughs> which so it went into the back burner just so that I could get the experience. It was always big on my mind knowing that I wanted to um, start my own brewery. And so I started s seeking jobs that would help me kind of reach that goal. And so I found a job at Dickerson Distributors, which is a local um, Bellingham distributor, beer distributor. Well, I was just, I worked there for about eight years. Amazing experience, great family to work for. And I got a ton of experience just uh, selling beer and then also operations. So I did hiring and I did uh, inventory management and I did routing and I helped out with delivery, delivery trucks. So really got a full picture of what it took to run a business in relation to beverage. And then the Cicerone was that piece to make my wife feel comfortable. <laughs> no, I, uh, it was for me, but it did help in that too. It, um, you know, still for me, I, I knew I didn't want to do it unless I had Kim, my wife, 100% on board. And 
So we kept talking about it over, you know, basically eight years. And um, as soon as I passed the advanced, uh, we were out to dinner celebrating and she looked at me and is like, so are you ready to start your brewery? And it was just a funny interaction because I was super giddy and the next day started revamping the business plan and uh, we opened about a year and a half after that point. So Wow. Have you, how's, how's your first year been? Are you feeling like good about it? You know, uh, yeah, it's been a great first year. Uh, it's pretty weird to be living through a pandemic <gasps> during our first year, but I like to think I'm pretty nimble and can kind of roll with the punches and we haven't let it get us down. We're, uh, you know, we're definitely working on reduced uh, volume and reduced dollars from what we were expecting right now, but we also are doing a, a lot more than we expected. I mean, we were not planning on going into 16 ounce cans until probably late summer. I was thinking about possibly like a fresh hop release in September, October as being my first can to release. So it's really forced us to expand into different markets, which has been great. Yeah. So outside of operating business through a pandemic, which we'll we'll get to that in a few minutes, were there any other surprises? that you came across uh, in your first year of operation? Overall, I, I don't think we've had a ton of surprises. And I think that comes from just being extremely prepared. We we've kind of thought through most of them. So anything that did come, like I, I didn't feel like anything was out of the blue. It's sort of like, well, we knew that might happen. You know, I think the biggest challenge was starting a brewery in a new space is just the building and the requirements that breweries take. Breweries need some sort of space that you know, ideally has tall ceilings because all the equipment's big and ideally roll up doors and you need power requirements. You need three phase power that most buildings don't have. And and then you have huge um, water usage, both drain and input. So I think a lot of our challenges were just facility related. And then building out the space took 10 months, um, which is actually pretty fast, but still mm-hmm. it seemed like it took a long time when we're in the thick of it. Yeah, from the outside looking in, it seemed to like pop up out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, there was this like awesome building by the car dealerships that I just had never thought of a brewery popping up over there. Um, It makes so much sense, though. Oh, it's great. I love it. I love being there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I do think that the biggest sort of challenge or thing that did kind of catch us off guard would be uh, location. This was the second building we were pretty serious about. And one thing we did find is that even though a space may seem perfect and actually be currently used as some sort of industrial business, it doesn't mean that it's currently zoned to be industrial. Mm-hmm. So anytime, uh, so zoning changes all the time and businesses that are currently there can just be their grandfathered in. Well, as soon as a business changes names or a new owner, then all of a sudden you've got to meet current codes basically or current mm-hmm. zoning. And so we looked at a space that was manufacturing use but now zoned like office or residential that wasn't even really on my radar at this point and so we went pretty far in the process until we were like wait a second we can't even legally be here um which was kind of a bummer we wasted you know probably three four months of our time and the the owner's time just going sort of dancing through and then realizing it legally we couldn't do our brewery there so um, how did you go about choosing your name and kind of the design scheme? So Stemma, I guess I'll I'll go through kind of the whole evolution of our name. So you heard me mention uh, Fan Belt Brewing. That was the first rendition. Again, not much thought went into that name, but 
something that came my dad owned an automotive shop so i grew up around cars and that's where that came from so then as we started thinking about it more seriously and talking to friends uh the name that came up was uh hoppa h-o-p-p-a it was a play on my last name harper we have a good buddy that is always whenever we hang out and drink together he's always like it's the hoppas <laughs> and so sort of that boston or east coast accent and um so we started going down that route and up until pretty far, like even like January 2019, we were still thinking Hoppe, uh, or maybe not quite that uh, end of 2018. But And one thing we found is that trademark law is a legit thing for breweries. So breweries, maybe more so than your typical restaurant, gets put on a national scale just because of social media and then... Anytime that we submit beers for competitions, let's say we want to send beer to the Great American Beer Fest, it now is on a national sort of setting. Mm -hmm. And so if you, you know, we decided to be X brewery, we send beer, we don't trademark it, we send beer to GABF. Well, if someone has a trademark on that beer name, they can then come after you with a cease and desist. And so it's pretty important to make sure that you, you know, trademark uh, your brewery name right from the get go. So what we found with Hoppa is that there was a brewery in Tennessee with a mm. trademark on a, a beer they produced called Big Hoppa. It was one of those things I, I sort of knew about it, but didn't think it would be a concern. And they told us we were not allowed to use uh, that name. That was kind of interesting. Long story, though, to just say that we're way happy with where we ended on Stemma Brewing. We think it's a it's just a much better representation of who we are. It's a, it's a Latin term for a written family genealogy. So my wife and I are kind of primary operators and founders. And then my mom and dad are heavily involved um, and actually moved up here from Vancouver, Washington to help us start it. We were trying to find this sort of family embodiment in the name and logistics part of STEMA is unless you're a Latin major, and even if you are a Latin major, it probably means nothing to nobody, which is a perfect blank branding opportunity for us. It's easy to say, it looks pretty when it's written out, and it gives us this slate to sort of, a blank slate to tell the story how we want it to sound. One name that was sort of talk, top on our list for a while was Neighborly Brewing. And mm -hmm. uh, in the conversations with that, people were like, well, what happens if you're like no longer neighborly? Like, what if you have a parking issue or, or you, you know, piss someone off? Like, uh -huh. and so we were realizing that you know, there's connotations with names. And so if you can pick something that doesn't have a lot of preconceived connotations, it's uh, for the best. Um, that and, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, was, I was saying one more thing with that. Oh, so on the branding piece, we worked with a company out of Seattle. Um, they're in the Ballard neighborhood uh, called Blind Tiger Designs. You know, pretty much <laughs> I, they design a ton of breweries. That's their focus is craft breweries, craft distilleries. So they do a really good job. They're really dialed into the industry. And uh, they, I was really happy with what they put out for us. You know, our drawing inspiration from the sort of the 50s, 60s color palette. Yeah. Um, and then also like a little bit like Latin American with just bright colors. And, and then the cat came out of being, you know, the family cat. We were talking about, okay, Stemma's this family genealogy. Well, my family, we've always grown up with cats, and so uh, we <laughs> wanted this icon that was the house cat, and uh, that's where cat has come from.
So how many, I have seen cats at your brewery before. Is there more than one cat or just? Yeah, there's one right now. We've had a couple. We've learned that this can be kind of a hard environment for cats just being, they're definitely indoor outdoor and there's um, some of the inherent uh, dangers with that. So we've lost a couple cats, unfortunately, that have have gone missing. Not sure if, uh, you know, I think coyotes are probably in the neighborhood too. So, but yeah, they're working cats. When we first moved into the space, we had a pretty bad roof rat problem. So roof rats are really, well, they can get really large and they climb like in insulation. And so they'll like, you'll like look up and they'll be like climbing the rafters above you. They're really disgusting. And so we took care of that problem and moved the cats in and haven't seen a single rat since. Well, a couple dead ones, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) cats are doing their job. So what is it like to be a new brewer in Bellingham? There's already a f- such a large amount of breweries. Have, have other, is there a pretty strong community of breweries? Probably the neatest thing about the brewing industry is just how collaboratory it is, how yeah. um, everyone gets along. Very few breweries view each other as competition. I think part of what helps that is that we all view sort of Anheuser-Busch as our competition. Sure. You know, so it's like, it's the little guys against the big guys. And so the little guys really don't fight against each other because we we have bigger fish to fry. You know, like there's, yeah. so we have, can't remember the exact statistics, they change a lot, but you know, we have, let's say 10% of the overall pie. So it's like, there's still 90% by big brewery that we can go after. There's no reason for us to go after each other at this point. I do think it will change as craft becomes more mainstream, but but I hope not. The sort of sense of we're all in this together and that we all help each other, I think is just really neat. And we all get along really well here. I Just recently I needed, um, or I was hoping to get some yeast. And one thing that you know we do a lot in town is we kind of trade yeast around. Yeast mm-hmm. is an extremely expensive component of a beer and if you're doing like a one-off recipe it's hard to you know spend six seven hundred dollars on a beer you're only going to brew once for the yeast and so i texted uh i think wes at colshin first and asked if he had any of this juice yeast and he said no i don't but check in with uh lou over at wander so i text lou and he's like no i'm so sorry i don't have any right now check in with rob at uh 122 west and at the end of the day no one had the yeast i wanted but it was really neat to sort of see how they all just sort of passed me around it's like oh i think he's maybe brewing a beer with that yeast right now and how we share like ingredients and talk about you know recipes is really cool that's so cool the thought of just like all the breweries talking to each other over text i love it I know. I'm glad. I'm glad they like each other because I like them so much. If there was like fighting internally, it would make me sad. <laughs> no, and even like Colshin, you know, they're we're right in between them, and so I communicate with them probably the most. I have a really good relationship with Wes, the head brewer over there. And there's one supplier where I get grain from that I need maybe like five bags a month from them, and it gets shipped out of Portland, so it's hard to spend you know a hundred dollars on shipping to get five bags. He orders from him weekly, and so I actually tag on grain onto his order uh, frequently. And again, one of those things where it's weird to think, you know, go to your competition and ask if you can, like, share orders. But it's uh, it's definitely a really cool just community. Definitely. 
So COVID-19, how is that impacting your life and business? Yeah, I it's definitely affecting a lot on top of the whole pandemic and COVID-19 rough. Well, yeah, basically the same time my, my wife got went into the hospital with a collapsed lung and she's actually she's in the hospital right now um, okay. with now her third collapsed lung. Um, oh, and so, yeah, so we're dealing with non-COVID related um, yeah. health issues. It just like couldn't be worse timing because um, everyone's at high alert for anything respiratory. So, but she's overall uh, healthy and, and they're, I think, really figuring out kind of the right direction. So I, I guess I say that to just say our personal life is just crazy is in addition. But, you know, I think on a business side, we're, um, we're figuring it out. I, I feel lucky that we had a crawler machine since at the time. And so what is a crawler machine? Just for Yeah, totally. Um, growlers would be the glass um, refillable mm-hmm. and then crawler with a C, um, basically can growler is a 32 ounce can that can be seamed on site. And so we use that pretty much exclusively to send beer out. So we'll fill direct off our tap lines, seam it on site and give it to the consumer that gave us an opportunity to be really like ready for to go. One of the issues with growlers is that they um, don't tend to last very long in the fridge. Um, The way you have to fill them, they tend to lose a lot of carbonation. And so they'll, you know, last maybe a couple of days in the fridge, whereas our crawler cans, we've had really good luck three to four weeks out. And wow. so I feel like people are more willing to come and buy six or nine crawlers and keep them in their fridge for a couple of weeks um, versus like coming and filling just like one growler. You know, doing that, which is helpful. I uh, had really good timing with just ordering crawler cans. I had a pallet show up on March 16th, which was the <laughs> day we were told to shut down which a pallet's 2,400 cans. And um, wow. I went from normally selling like anywhere from like 10 to 20 crawlers a day to selling like 100 to 150 crawlers a day. <gasps> as soon as I kind of saw that, I was lucky I had an extra pallet, but then I went to order another one and they were backordered a month. Mm-hmm. And luckily that first pallet just barely lasted me. I've just, yeah, had good timing with ordering more. And then, yeah, we're the 60 ounce cans. I was already had started a conversation with both the designer to make labels and the mobile canning company. And so we were really ready to jump on that and got had some beers that were slated for kegs, but we ended up rerouting them and putting them in the 16 ounce cans. So that worked out great. And I don't know, I I think this is definitely a hiccup and not ideal, but there's always good things that can come out of any sort of pressure. And I think this is pressure on this sort of economy and society as a whole. And um, we're figuring out weak points and strengthening them as needed. Yeah, definitely. So in what ways can the community of Bellingham support Stemma and other breweries at this time? I think just keep ordering beer online or coming in. Most breweries, the best way is just to go on their website and order ahead and uh, most breweries now are doing delivery or you can go pick up. Also like buying a gift card is great, but I would say just like figuring out ways to sort of go out of your way and and spend local. One thing I look at pretty closely is just new versus returning customers. And it's based off of credit card transactions. It just kind of Mm -hmm. goes, oh, we've seen this credit card before. We haven't. And we're still seeing anywhere between 20 and 30% every day is new customers. And we we hear it too. People come in and they say, hey, I've never been in before. I just knew you were here. I was thinking about you and really wanted to support you. And so people are going out of their way. They're 
they're maybe already at the grocery store and they could just buy a six pack there, but they're wanting to spend money locally. And I would say just keep that up. That's uh, really been huge for us. Just seeing sort of the community come together and, and, and support us. We want to be able to make it without that. So yeah. Do you have any final thoughts you want to send out into the universe for the folks listening at home? Final thoughts? Oh, man. I guess I would just say uh, chase after dreams. I mean, I do feel like right now I'm, that I'm living in sort of my dream. <laughs> uh, this yeah. is something I've, I've uh, fought for and, and really worked towards hard for 10 years. It's not easy. It doesn't come overnight. But I would say if you want to do it, you can do it. One of my favorite billboards I've seen was maybe a WeQ billboard or some sort of bank, but it was like every overnight success is years in the making. And you mentioned it sort of at the beginning where you said, uh, yeah, it just seems like you popped up overnight. And I love that because that's uh, it was like years and all these things in the making to make it seem like it popped up overnight. I had a lot of uh, obstacles my way that could have easily uh, stopped us. But if you are passionate enough, I would say just go for it. And uh, people notice that too. I mean, I think we've gotten a ton of support early on and continuing just from like friends I've met along the way that like believe in us and love what we're creating. And I'm not sure we could could have done it without friends. At any given point when our tap room is open, I probably know half the people sitting down <laughs> and drinking a beer. So yeah, if you if you want to get into hospitality, make sure you like people, I'd say. I hope so. So we're going to wrap this up by heading into our last segment, which is called Local Treasures. In this segment, we do a roundtable sharing of something we ate, drank, or otherwise consumed recently that fills us with local pride. Do you have something like that, Jason? Yeah, uh, I've got a couple examples. I've been totally loving Filling Station. Um, that's been sort of my go-to right now, ordering from Viking Foods. And I've been enjoying, I believe it's called the Mustang. It's like a Swiss, Swiss mushroom burger. So that's wow. been kind of my go-to local food. And then, uh, you know, I've been trying to, I always try to drink other beers locally as well. It, um, it's fun for me to just kind of see what other brewers are doing and also just, you know, tell the brewers good job too. And, uh, and I've been really enjoying the stuff Twin Sisters has been putting out. They've had recently a couple new brewers step in into bigger roles there. And so they have a pail that was just tasting great right now. And their hazy also is, um, they're doing a really good job. They need to work on making the hazy more hazy, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny thing with hazies is uh, half of it is perception. The beer is absolutely wonderful. And if I, if it was in the can, I would never know. But you pour it into a glass and just visually it's too clear for me but i am so guilty of that like where i'm like this is this a hazy i don't think it is and then it's totally a hazy but no i get what you're saying i do want to go into a quick tangent and you can totally cut it out if you'd like but i want to go on the record and talk about hazy versus juicy so oh please so currently hazy and juicy are considered the same thing according to the brewers association for some reason they've lumped those together into one judging category which I'm sure will get changed at some point. The category in general is so new that it was just added in the last three to four years into the judging categories anyway, but they're not the same thing. To me, a juicy is somewhat clear. It might have a little bit of haze, but it would be still fairly clear to the visual eye. It's going to have a ton of tropical hops. It's going to have a yeast that adds to that sort of tropical flavor and is maybe a little sweeter and probably a fuller mouth body. 
and on that juicy scale, it's more about hop selection. It's not going to be piney. It's not going to be super bitter. Whereas we get into hazy and or some may call like the New England IPAs. And when, when we get into that category, you're talking about substantial use of adjuncts, meaning malted wheat, flaked mm-hmm. barley, oats. And that a lot of times is what's going to give it a really hazy, almost like milkshake or orange juice. Yep, look, orange you know, juice. Yeah, that's what I would call a hazy um, or a New England IPA. And then I do think there needs to be this new category just called juicy that is better represents uh, sort of this new school IPA that is low bitterness, but doesn't use any wheat or oats. So that's my tangent. Love it. I like it. I learned something new. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Jason, for talking about the beer and the avenue and giving a shout out to Twin Sisters. I know I'll have to stop by and pick up some of their beer because I haven't had it in a while. Annika, what about you? What's your local treasure this week? My local treasure is the truffle fries from Luna's. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Tell me about that. Oh, they're just really good. I <laughs> I mean, I love fries. I'm a, I'm a fry person. You, I drink just a little bit of beer and I'm like, okay, I need fries or something similar. But yeah, I had never actually been to Luna's until maybe February and we stopped in and I got their truffle fries and I just, I don't know what even truffle is. Maria, that's more like your... It's a kind of fungus. Okay. It's very savory and it's like expensive. Okay. Well, they were divine and I just wanted more. And so the other day I ordered just the truffle fries from Luna's and picked them up. Maybe it's strange to just go and pick up an order of fries in the middle of the day, but you know. You got to do what you got to do, Annika. Whatever to get through the quarantine, you know. I'm going to wrap it up with mine. My pick this week is from El Rey. Brandon and I got like a giant order. Their menu is really extensive. They've got a whole bunch of Latin American cuisine from a whole bunch of different countries, and they have it all organized in a way I really like. And I couldn't decide, so I just got like way too much food. I got like four things. So it was spendy, but it was worth it because their food is delicious. And I'm so happy we have a restaurant like El Rey in town. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for coming on. We really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Annika, are you uh, jonesing to do more comedy here or what's going on? I don't have anything to fill my void of what what did Chris say last week, Maria? To fill oh, my void what? of validation from strangers. So I started yes. a podcast. Oh, perfect. <laughs> that's a that's a good secondary option, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, when we get back, I'm very excited for uh, Afterglow to start up again. So I hope so. I had so much fun watching you. Um, Annika, the comedian, is hilarious. To anybody listening, you should come see her shows. Yeah, come and watch me roast my dog. Yeah, exactly. Always good. It'll be interesting to see if we could do any comedy this summer. I I think possibly like really small shows or maybe we could do a big outdoor block party. Love it. You know, and like have everyone, we could draw squares in the parking lot and (laughs) people can be in their own square and uh, that could be a fun, maybe that we do like one or two of those this summer or something. Hey, I'd be there. That sounds really fun. We just got to get through these phases. Let's get into phase four or whatever. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're going to leave you guys all with a big stay healthy, Bellingham. A little more subdued, Maria. Please stay healthy.
Uh, we want to give a thanks to Jeff Bigley for letting us use his music. A big thank you to Annika for doing the editing for this episode. Special thanks to our special guest. And thank you to all of our listeners. We love you so much. Spread the word. That's amazing. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>